I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Thanks, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mom is calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows your best. Better call daddy cause he's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees Today's episode is about participating in the miracle we call life. I myself am a miracle considering I was in a hurricane in my mom's belly and my dad was tossed out to sea. We all have miracles, not just in business, but in our own families. And it does make life easier if you can find the right mentor, somebody to give you a leg up. And our guest today, Adam Adams, is doing that for others. He's done it in the podcasting space and in the real estate space and in his own family. Adam Adams, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey. Hi. How are you? I am sick, but I'm going to be fine. Wow. Well, thank you for hopping on here and not <laughs> feeling 100%. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity as well. So thank you. Awesome. Okay. I went back to my notes from when okay. we originally talked. I am recording, by the way. Okay. Just to give you a so heads up, I just like anything, it to be... Don't say anything crazy right now. I like to actually get crazy right away, <laughs> and I know you're into getting right into the meat. So I wanted I'm to take good. it <laughs> to 2018 when you said that your kid called you fat, and then it was time to make some changes. All right, done. Well, it happened more than once, but I think one of the times just finally got me. It would be like, Dad, you're fat. And I never really thought of myself as that. Like I never thought because I had been an athlete through junior high and high school. I'd run like five miles a day. I was lifting. Everybody called me strong. And so I never identified as somebody who was fat, but I did have a gut and ended up, I was like, do you really think I'm fat? He goes, yeah. I'm like, is this person fat? No. Is this person fat? No. And I'm like, and I am? And he was like, yeah, you're really fat. So that was one of the big things that had changed, this was in 2018, December of 18. It was also the relationship with the kids because as I was fat and overworked and overstressed and drinking probably too much alcohol and waking up already not feeling great on top of just being fat, like my personality, my patience level wasn't there either. So I was in a mastermind group and at the mastermind, I let 
everybody know that my business is fine. So it's a business mastermind, by the way. It's a group of, I think there was about 40 people that all do the same, a very similar thing. And I got up and it was my turn to go. At a mastermind, everybody gets a chance on the hot seat. And I felt like my business was good, but nothing else was good. My relationships weren't good. My relationship with my kids weren't good. My relationship with myself and my own weight wasn't good. And I'd got up there and I kept thinking, what am I going to talk about? And it just came out and I started bawling. And I'm just like, hey, all I really want to focus on is how to get these relationships back, how to get my health back. I've been telling myself that, you know, I need to provide for my kids, but then they come up to me in the evening and they want to show me something or they want to play a game with me or they want me to go outside and play basketball. And I would always say no. I would always say too busy because I was really focused on work. And so it was December of 18 that all really changed for me. And I started putting myself and my relationships first. So just for example, starting then I decided, you know, every Wednesday night that the kids and I would exercise together. Every Thursday night would be game night. So we would break out a board game or a card game or a game on the phone that you can play with a few different people. And we still do all these things. To this day, it's been about four or five years. And Friday nights are always movie nights. So I put down the phone and play games. I put down the phone and exercise with them. I put down the phone and put it out of the way and do movie night, not on the phone. And on Saturdays, we always try to do something fun. There's this place called Elitch Gardens. It's just a amusement park. Or we'd go to parkour or we go on hiking or go to pinball. This week, we went to pinball on Saturday. But Saturdays, we're always focused on doing something just to make memories. And it's really honestly just been life-changing. And the interesting part about like growing my health and my relationships is that I went from probably working... Uh, I don't want to exaggerate too much because it changes, right? Some weeks, it is probably 60 or 80 hours. But other weeks is 100 to 120 hours a week. And I was just massively overworked. But nowadays, I've tried to focus on working between four hours a week and 16 hours a week. And I've been pretty good at keeping that without fail. And it all happened when I changed my focus and started hiring more staff. And now I'm, I'm making a lot more money, but I'm working much, much less. I just cannot imagine because, you know, one day a week in our home, we devote to like our kids know Friday night dinner, we're all doing it together, all electronics off. And just even committing to that one day a week or even like a Saturday lunch is a lot like the kids push back. Mm. But the fact that you've kept that up for four years, I mean, kids appreciate movie night. They love playing games with you, even if it's at home in different rooms, if everybody's participating. And like you said, making memories. What? It seems like an easy idea, but what a great idea. They love it. They push back on some things, especially the working out. They haven't always wanted to work out. Now, both of them, it probably took like three or four years, honestly, but it took until recently that if I said it was time to work out, because they would remind me, hey, dad, what game are we going to play tonight? Hey, dad, what movie are we going to watch tomorrow? Hey, dad, where are we going on Saturday? They would remind me about all those things. But the working out was the hard one. They would ignore it. They wouldn't say anything. It would be like time for us to work out. I would say, hey, all right, we're going to do a workout. And they're like, oh, right now. And it's only been recently because they're 
looking really strong and they're able to do lots of push-ups. And I believe that what's happening is they're just really proud of themselves. They've come a long way and now it's time to work out. They're like, okay. And they just go and work out. It's not a long thing. For a while, we were going and doing private lessons, a CrossFit gym. So I'd just have the teacher do a private with just the two kids and I would take them. But recently, we've been just doing it in the house. So I have like kettlebells and some other things and just a few push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. Maybe we'll do two minutes as many as you can or we'll switch back and forth. But now they are much, much better about that. I think it is a good idea too to like make sure their form is good and work with the trainer. Yeah. I worry about that. Like I took my 10-year-old with me to the gym and I love just to do the elliptical to get started and then lift for like a half hour. But, you know, he's new to working out. So he wants to try every machine and, he, you know, he wasn't really, yeah. he was making me get off the machine. I was like, hey, you know, this has to be kind of, we work out together things like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've really loved it. I've really had fun and they are developing well compared to where I think we were headed when I didn't have the time for them and I, I wouldn't make the time for them and I made excuses instead. And I didn't ever feel like moving it. I remember just trying to sit up in the morning and I've always been so agile. Like I'm I'm that guy who could jump on top of really high things, just like flat jumping and doing some gymnastics my mom put us through and walking on my hands like it's nothing. And we got to a place in the end of 2018 where like if I would just try to wake up and I would try to sit up, my gut was just so pushing me out of the way. So yeah, I hired a trainer and everything that he wanted me to eat, everything that he wanted me to exercise, doing all my steps every day, got down to a six pack during my 40th when I was 40. Because I said in 2018, I said, by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. And I couldn't do it on my own. So I hired a trainer to support and show me the way. Hold Amazing. me thing. Wow. Congratulations. Actually, that's a great transition into kind of where I wanted to go. I know that you have taught people how to get into multifamily real estate. And one of the things that you say is if you want to get into this, one of the best ways to do that is to get a mentor. Yeah, 100 percent, especially for multifamily. I mean, you could try to start with like single family or multifamily and you probably mess up a few times, but if you're messing up on the bigger deals a few times, it's going to be hard to get back up when you fall because we actually had a few losses in multifamily, even with somebody supporting us. It, it still worked out. It's we're in the net black. However, we lost $315,500 on one deal, over $200,000 on another deal, and probably $50,000 a couple of times. And when I was doing single family, I've been doing that since 2005. When I was doing single family, I had lost a few deals within 10 or 11 years, but the biggest one was probably about $6,000. So it totally changes when you get into multifamily and people are thinking, oh, I'm smart enough or this or that. But if you don't have really somebody who's been there and done that before, you're going to fail. So I ended up starting to coach people after, even while making some mistakes, to be honest. We were supporting others and helping them kind of understand how to, it's called underwrite, which a lot of people know what underwriting means. In the multifamily space, it means looking to see if this deal is going to make you money or lose you money and, and what's the most amount you could spend for it because it's a different animal with larger investments. 
where the value of the property is just based on how much income it makes. A lot of people in the business world might call it EBITDA. For us, we just call it you know cash flow and the net operating income. And we figure out by based on a cap rate, which in the market could be anything. It could be a 3% cap rate and it could be a 20% cap rate. Now, typically it's going to be like 8% to 6%. But here's just a quick difference. If you have income of, let's just say 1 million a year is what the gross, the net income is, and you have it on a 10 cap, then you're basically worth 10 million. And if, if you make a million and you have it on a five cap, you're, it's worth 20 million. So if you make a mistake by just calling out the wrong cap rate that somebody else did in a different market or in a different neighborhood, then you think that you could sell the property for $12 million, but you can really only sell it for $9 million. And so all of your projections that you're going to give your passive investors, you work with other people, all of your projections of how much you were going to give them goes down to nothing. And so they've invested their time and money and you've invested your time and you're unable to pay your people. And it's simply because you were off by a half a point on the cap rate. It's interesting. That sounds stressful. (laughs) It can be a big deal. So, How many deals are you underwriting now? I stopped buying in 2019. July Mm -hmm. of 19, I felt like there would be a crash, a market crash by the year 2024. And so, which may or may not happen. We're basically at 2024 right now. And there's been COVID, you know, in 2020, there's been a handoff from a Republican president to a Democratic president and things changed. There's interest rates have changed and gone up, which makes the value go down because if the interest rate goes up, you're putting more of your money toward the interest instead of keeping it. And that's going to make your whole property worth a million less or two million less just because the interest rates change. So you'll get ready to sell a property and now interest rates are higher and you're going to be unable to sell it for a profit. You're going to sell it at a loss or just have to hold on to it. In some cases, you have to refinance because these loans are shorter. A lot of the terms are three years, five years, seven years, 10 years. It's a 10-year term or a five-year term. So for example, if we bought something a few years ago and everything's going well, the banks on these multifamily properties, it's not like a house where you get a 30-year mortgage with a 30-year term. You don't have to pay it off in five years. On these larger ones, most of the time, even though you might have a 30-year or even 40-year amortization, you have to sell it within five years or refinance. And I didn't want to get caught, I call it with my pants down. I didn't want to be caught holding you know, the candle at the end, whereas I wasn't going to be able to sell it. And so some of those things are already at fruition. Some of those things have already happened. And I'm grateful that I haven't been buying over the last five years, but not all of it has happened. In fact, values typically have been going up. So we'll see. We'll see. I ended up stopping and we have two properties. It's about a hundred and something doors. I think it's 168 doors right now. We have got two properties left. We've been selling since 2019. And then I have a small portfolio of single family on my own, but with my business partners, we've just been selling since 2019. And we went from around $100 million of assets under management and down to, I think we're at about $6 million, So we've sold a lot. Wow. Oh yeah. That's a big difference. Didn't your dad get you into real estate? Yeah. Yeah. My stepdad, my mom married him and he always had a business and he always invested in real estate. He's really smart with money. 
And he would try to tell me to do it ever since I was eight. He was paying me a dollar an hour working on his tree farm. And I would water just all of the plants, which was literally more than a thousand plants. Easy, just going back and forth and counting to whatever, 15 or counting to 30. I got really good at counting it to 30. So I could do this with my eyes closed now. Anyway, go tree after tree after tree. And he'd give me a buck an hour. And then we say, now, Adam, make sure you save 10%. Make sure you invest 10%. Make sure you pay yourself first 10%. And make sure you put aside the taxes. And I'm like, <laughs> what does all this mean? And so I'm getting like a buck an hour. I'm probably working like four hours on a Saturday. And so I'm like, okay, so at the end of the day, dad, I'm going to have like two bucks. I'm going to have $2. Why would I want to keep saving all these little 10 cents and 20 cents for different stuff? And he's like, trust me, if you do this your whole life, you're going to be great. And I didn't, unfortunately. But when I was in college years later, in 2005, he gifted me a piece of land, a cabin lot, and I held on to it. I, I was really appreciative. I was like, yeah, I own a piece of America. And he made me pay a hundred bucks for it because his, his accountant wouldn't let him just gift it because it was worth too much. So I had to pay a hundred bucks, but I was in college. So that was a lot of money for me. However, in 2007, I sold it. I was graduating college and I made more selling that property than I would make in a whole year of working after graduating with my degree. And so I was like, my dad has something here. Like this makes sense. Anyway, I read a book that he had been, I'm dyslexic, so reading isn't my first choice. He kept asking me when I was young, read this book, read this book, read this book, and I never did. I didn't want to read any books. But after selling that and being like, I'm well above whatever I could have done in a whole year of working, you know, 40 hours a week, maybe I should read that book. So I did. And basically, Robert Kiyosaki, the author, agrees with everything that my dad was telling me have a business and invest as much as you can. So you don't have to pay too much in taxes. And so just keep buying assets, not liabilities. And I focused on that in 2007 and got managing properties. Then I bought my own multifamily in 2008. It got hit by a crash, which is why I was so careful in 2019 and until now to not be in another crash. I actually lost a property. It's called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. So I called up the bank and I said, I'm not going to be able to pay like, I'm not going to be able to pay. And they're like, no problem. We just have you sign it over to me. So I didn't actually have to lose anything. I just was embarrassed because I was a failure probably to my stepdad. But anyway, I continued to invest in real estate. It ended up getting to a place where it was really, really good. And I'm grateful for him and his influence. And I probably will always be investing in real estate because I've got these houses that are all paid off. And each one of them nets me more than 500, some closer to $800 a month. And I don't have to do anything except for look at the numbers once a month. On the 30th of the month, I get mailed something and I guess I get paid several hundred or a couple thousand bucks just by reading a P&L. So I love real estate. I honestly do. That's insane. I did hear you say on a podcast interview that if you have $300,000 to invest, that you personally, I think, would trust giving that to somebody who teaches others to do multifamily. Have you gotten strangers off the internet who have listened to you on a podcast, call you up and are like, I have $300,000, let's do this? I've had a lot more than that, to be honest. <laughs> I've had people call me when I was interviewed on other people's podcasts. And I had a podcast that I ended up selling in 2020. And 
in my podcast, I got the most. So for example, we did a 30-day campaign. I had so many extra interviews. Those conversations, by the way, anyone listening, if you're thinking about having a podcast, simply thinking of just the conversations that you have with your guest that will grow you as a person, that will grow your network, that will grow the ability for you to make a lot more money. And that is simply what happened for me. And we did this push because we had extra conversations. So I did 30 episodes in 30 days, so just daily episodes for one month because I had enough in the bank, I call it a bank account of episodes, had enough in the bank to be able to do this. And I added a short ad, a little advertisement that just says, if you're ready to start investing in multifamily real estate, I'm ready to have that conversation with you. And then I said something like, feel free to go down in the show notes and just schedule a call with me and I'll walk you through what it might look like for you to start investing in multifamily. So we did that and we ended up having millions and millions and millions of capital available to us to be able to close on the next deals. And just one of the people that listened to my podcast, he said he has 10 million. He's been hearing that I could he could have a conversation and he committed to being in the next five deals. Now, this is interesting because we stopped buying soon after this. We didn't end up using it all because I didn't feel good about taking money in a confusing market changing. But at any rate, that guy offered 10 million. Another guy offered 3 million. Another guy offered a couple of million. Another guy had a few hundred thousand. And it all happened just by in 30 days of just putting out more content, but having a short ad about it. But also from going and speaking on other people's conferences, like for example, here's another just benefit of having your own thought leadership platform like you do. Because I had a podcast and people in my space, it was the real estate space, knew me and knew who I was, knew what I did. They ended up inviting me to speak at their conference in front of hundreds of people, not usually too much more. I think the biggest one was 2000, but most of them were like 200 to 600 people. And I continued to get on stages multiple times. And when you walk off stage, you have a credibility, first and foremost, just because you are on the stage, the person who's hosting that event trusts you. And of course, if you can speak from your heart and you're eloquent enough, which not me, I'm not very eloquent, but I was speaking from my heart. So I could just hop off of stage and I'd usually get one or two people, not a lot, but out of 600 people, I might get one or two people that wants to put 50 grand or a hundred grand or more than a million each time I would speak on a conference. So it was one of the easiest ways to raise money and be ready to have more limited partners just because I had my own platform, other people who had their platforms wanted to invite me and others with podcasts because it grows all of our networks when they do that. So it's a win-win, but the benefit to me is that I was able to just be on stage, come off, and then have you know maybe a couple hundred thousand or even more than a million dollars available for a next deal. So... I would really recommend to anyone listening, whatever your business is, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's been talking about this since 2015 or 2016. And he talks about if you're not on social media and you're not hosting a podcast by the year 2023, and 2023 is basically over, then you will lose in business. I've seen a lot of people that were really good at, in that space of raising a lot of capital. They would call me and they would say, hey, I don't know what's going on. I can usually raise so much money, but now I've got this deal where I needed to raise 
six million and I've only got two million. I've got two weeks left and I feel like I'm in a really bad place. So what ended up happening in each of these cases was the person who in, used to invest with them now, because they never started a podcast, even though they had more experience, more track record, and even the relationships already, they weren't the squeaky wheel. They weren't getting the grease. That person who was felt stressed because he was under the wire and he didn't know what to do, all of the money was going to podcasters. All of the money was going to the people that were putting out content once or twice a week. And so now he couldn't raise money anymore because those people that had their shows were raising the money, which basically just illustrates Gary Vee. If you're not active on social and you don't have a thought leadership platform, I'm sorry, the business is going to someone else. I have so many questions now, but one thing that you said that I'm like, I need to be doing this is the ad for your business at the end of every episode. Right now, I have a partnership deal with Namecheap. I won a contest and they redid my website. And so now I have an affiliate deal with them. And so after that ad's over, I'm thinking it would be beneficial for me to let people know like, hey, if you have a podcast or want to have a podcast, reach out to me and we can have that conversation Yeah, because I do currently produce a couple other shows. Cool. So I think that that is a really good idea is to come up with an ad that brings your people to you for business more and be direct about it. I hadn't done that yet. And then did you see opportunity in the podcasting realm from what you just shared with me? Well, I started my first podcast because I knew that your network is your net worth. And I was new to a new city. And so I I launched a meetup group and a podcast basically simultaneously. And I listened to Gary Vee and I've got really active on social media to talk about my meetup group and talk about my podcast. And that's how I really ended up blowing up and being able to speak at all the conferences. I would network with the top people. I'd have them on my show. I would eventually get invited to their show and then on their stages. And you know that's really the place that I saw the most amount of opportunity. I heard you say, I should have an ad probably at the end of every episode. And so I wanted to give you and the listener a little bit of value, especially because you help with other people's podcasts and this would really help them. A lot of people, they tune out of a podcast at the end. So the content's over and they just go ahead and go to the next episode. So here's the two things that I think can support most people when we're doing advertisements on podcasts. So I host a show called The Podcast on Podcasting. And a lot of the times I will do two ads, but they're not recorded. They're not pre-recorded ads. And frequently those ads happen to be whatever I'm feeling at the time because we can do a couple of things. And so I might go in the beginning of an episode while my perfect avatar is there, because like you, I serve a podcaster and I'm talking to a podcaster because that's the only person that I interview on my show. So I'll say something like, if you're a podcaster, and of course my guest is a podcaster, if you're a podcaster and you're looking for this, this, and this, which are the most common things that people would look for, I want to let you know that you could schedule a call with me. That might be right in front of my guest. And sometimes the guest will be the one who talks to me right after. And so it's not really an ad and you don't know how long it's going to be. There's no music behind it. And so nobody's fast forwarding it. Everyone's hearing it. Plus, if you're interviewing your perfect listener, like your avatar, the person you want to work with, they're going to hear it too. And so I would do an ad, which is just quick and off the cuff in the beginning of the episode and at the end before the outro and the music. 
you would say the same thing. I'll be like, Rena was talking about how she wanted X, Y, and Z. This is what we could help you with. And so now Rena's like, oh, they can help me. You know what I mean? And the other takeaway that could be really good for you and your clients who do podcasts would be to switch the ad from the beginning and from the end and just put it in the middle. And I'll share with you how I do that. It's called a cliffhanger, just like when I was five years old and growing up and I watched He-Man every Saturday. At the end of right before the commercial break, they would give me a cliffhanger. They would make me need to know what happens next. And then the commercials come and I'm so excited. I'm sitting through the commercials. I don't want to miss anything. And then it comes back on and I know exactly what's going to happen. They do a quick recap and then they go into what the value is or what the entertainment is in this case, because it will work like that to get us excited. So here's the takeaway. I do a commercial break on my episodes. I will ask a few questions and I might hear, let's say I'm interviewing you right now. I might hear you say something that is really interesting. Like just, it catches my mind and it probably caught the listener's mind as well. So I'll say, you know what, Rena, at the end of this break, I need to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. You brought it up at the beginning. I thought that was super interesting. And I think the listener is going to get a lot of value out of it. But let's just take a quick break. We'll be right back. Now the commercial comes in the middle of the episode. I did a cliffhanger. I got people excited about what is exciting. And I'll jump back on. We're back with Rena Watts. Earlier, we were talking about X, Y, and Z. And right now, I'm going to ask her this question. I bet you can't wait to hear it. And I'll say, Rena, and I'll ask the question. So that's a way to do what TV over, you know, 60 plus years has learned to do because they have the top of the top marketers on their teams. So if all we do is just copy and imitate what they're doing, we can get a really good result. So that way it moves the recorded ad from the beginning and also from the end and puts it in the middle where it's more likely that people aren't going to skip past it. It's funny because I've listened to your show and now that you're saying that, I want to go back and listen <laughs> to see if I can catch you doing that. Yeah. I'll even I do didn't it even on realize you were doing it. <laughs> I'll do it on even some solos. I'll name a few things and I'll say, all right, I told you we were going to go over this and it's time for a quick break. As soon as we get back, I'm going to go over exactly how to do this and what it's going to mean for your business. And then I jump off and they come right back and then answer the question. So He-Man cliffhangers. I love that. I haven't heard you talk about that before. I know one thing that you said people ask you all the time is like, how long should my episodes be? That's one of your most asked questions. So one of mine that I get asked a lot is how can we get our guests to share our episodes? How can we maximize the relationship with the guest? And I think, too, that has probably been a key to your success, right? Maximizing these relationships with the people who you're bringing on so that it does lead to business. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So there's a few things that I'll try to do with maximizing with the guest. The first and foremost, I will listen intently to any a lot of the questions that I'll ask. So, for example, one of the questions I may ask, I ask most of the people, is what are you struggling with now? And I'll phrase it like the listener's hearing this. You've had so much success. It's really about the listener, but it's also calculated. So I'll mention you've had all the success and the listener's hearing this probably thinking that 
This is just foolproof and you don't ever run into anything after you launch. So I'd like you to correct them. I'd like you to tell them, you know, what's something that you are working on right now, something that you're struggling or you need to change in the podcast right now. And so they'll go and they'll be like, oh, I really want this. I really want to start monetizing. I've been doing it for like three years and I'm not making any money. It's just take costing me money. So that'll become my ad at the end. So I'll say, Rena was talking about how she was struggling with this. She's not alone. A lot of people are not monetizing. And it's hard because you launch your podcast and you think you're doing this and you're going to be super well-known immediately, but there's some things you got to do in order to build up the credibility of your podcast, get it in front of more people. So I want to share that we've done that for people. We've helped people to be able to get more credibility, get more listeners. And eventually one of my clients is making 10,000 a month. Another one's making 6,000 a month and they didn't even have very many listeners. All we did is sat down, talked about who could be their sponsor and now they're making 10K a month. And I know a lot of people that want to make 10K a month. That big five figure thing is the target for more than half the population. So if that's you, you want to make five figures a month off your podcast, reach out. And so now the person in front of me hears it and we're talking about it there as well. So that's part of maximizing is to listen intently when you ask questions. I think some podcasters only think about their next question and they'll just go, here's a question. And then here's the next question. They got to maybe written down and they think that they have to cover eight questions or 10 questions. Ultimately, what I recommend is to ask a question and then ask the follow-up question. Like for a doctor giving a prescription, they're like, does it hurt when I do this? Does it hurt when I twist it right here? Does it hurt when I touch there? Does it hurt when you jump up and down? And you're like, well, let me try. And yes, it hurts. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it hurts. No, that doesn't hurt. Now, when the doctor comes and says, I can help you and I can help other people that have this, you feel like you've been heard. You feel like you've been understood and the prescription is valid. You're able to do the thing. So if you're listening intently, asking good questions, then you'll be able to support that person. And if it's coming from the heart, not just like, I want to sell, I want to make money, but what is this person struggling with? How can I help them? What would it look like for them if it changed for them? What would it look like for them? Not for me in my pocketbook, but how would this change that person's life? And you can share it eloquently. That's one way to maximize. Another way is to try to do interview swaps. I'm always trying that. Doesn't mean I'm always going to do that. Sometimes just people come on my show. Sometimes I'll just go on theirs. But normally I will try to do an interview swap because then I'm going to the maximizing. I'm able to have a conversation with them more than once. We're able to get to know each other, know, like, and trust. If we just did it once, we wouldn't get as much of that. But when we have you know multiple conversations and or invite them back to the show again, then we're adding a lot of value to them. We're having those conversations. Now we're more likely to know, like, and trust. A third way to maximize those relationships is something that I've not done, but some people that come on my podcast talk about it. And I think it's a beautiful idea. They will write handwritten notes or they'll make a gift that is valuable to the person, not just a branded mug or a branded shirt, not just a branded shirt. But for example, I created three different types of shirts. We're not doing this with all of our guests. We've done it a couple of times with guests and clients, but we do it mostly when we sponsor a conference. So I get these shirts that say, ask me about my podcast. It doesn't look like it's branded. There's a tiny little brand on the back that says, grow your show, our company. But in the front, it's ask me about my podcast. In the front, it's podcaster. In the front, it's I'm changing the world one listener at a time. So a podcaster is going to want something like this. 
what I might be able to do is I could mail these shirts and with a handwritten thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Now, what's that going to do is I've given them something. They would probably wear it proudly because it's not just a marketing tool just for me. It's something about them. They're grateful to have something that people will stop and say, tell me about your podcast, which is actually sometimes annoying. So many people ask when you're wearing those in the grocery store, you forget that you even have it on and everybody's like, tell me about your podcast. Tell me like, dang it. Like I need to hide under the radar for a second so I could just get my shopping done. So they work, they work extremely well. And so why wouldn't I mail that off and do a handwritten letter? Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast and adding value in this way and this way. Can't wait to work with you in the future. Something like that and just mail it off to them would make a big difference on the reciprocity, how they feel about me. And there's a tiny little logo at the back of the shirt. So as they go to put it on, they could remember, Grow Your Show gave this to me. Adam gave this to me. And after wearing it a bunch of times, maybe one of the times they'll say, ah, I'm going to call him and see how he can help me. Something like that. So those are three ways to grow with those relationships with the guest. If I was just going to name one other thing, I don't do this all the time, but if the guest serves my listener, even if we serve the same person in the same way, for example, if it's two people that both serve podcasters. Then I might still say, if I'm interviewing you and Rena can help you with X, Y, and Z, her website is in the show notes. Scroll down and connect with her. Instead of, there is a few people out there who feel like they shouldn't do that because they would be taking business away from themselves. And frankly, not everybody who listens to our show is going to do business with us. It might be one out of a thousand, one out of a hundred. It's not a huge percent. And the reason that they haven't taken action hiring me might just be because they don't know what I can do for them yet. But if I'm interviewing you and I say that at the end, maybe one person or two people will call you, but it's also generous. And I think that the guests would appreciate that you are promoting them instead of making them do the self-promotion. So a lot of people at the end, they're like, tell the listener how they get a hold of you. I never do that. I say, this is what she can do. This is her website. This is her podcast. All of those links are in the show notes. Connect with her. And that's it. So those are a few ways that I think we can support that growth with the guest. I love that. And I'll just say, I interview people that have podcasting agencies. I can't take everyone as a client. And not everybody is going to be the perfect client for you. So if you know other podcasting agencies that are vetted and that you've collaborated with and you know will do a good job for someone, you could get a referral fee. <laughs> yeah. Something that I came up with at this last, it was a podcast movement. They do a couple of events each year. I was there sponsoring and it occurred to me toward the end that I ought to connect with anyone who has an agency because a lot of my clients might want to monetize. A lot of the other agencies' clients, your clients might want to monetize. And it might work well where I get an ad for one of my clients on one of your podcasts. So now you're a hero to your client because they're making money. They're excited because they're making money. And my person is happy because they're getting ads on other people's podcasts. And genius, everybody who listens to podcasts, listen to podcasts. So if you are on somebody else in your space, you already know they are interested in that topic and you already know that they listen to podcasts. And so it could be an easy way for them to hear that ad 
and hear that another person in the space and be like, oh, this is easy. I can just go over to their podcast real quick. And I'm already here. I don't need to go from Facebook to podcasting. I go from podcast to podcast. It's much easier. That's smart. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up with, do you have a question for my dad? <sighs> do I have a question for your dad? What was the scariest part of knowing you were about to have a girl? What was Aww. the scariest part? I've got two boys and sometimes I'm like, I'm so glad I don't have a girl. So I'm curious what he says about that. That's cute. I like that. I thought you were going to say, has your daughter ever called you fat? Oh, nope. Nope. We won't go there. Who knows if it's true or not? So I'm, we're not going to go there. But yeah, when he found out that they were going to have a girl, did he freak out or what exactly happened? I like it. I like it. Well, I'm going to let you do a commercial because you've given us so many reasons why people should reach out to you, especially the monetization factor. So you grow people's podcast to the top 1%. You help them get sponsors. You're putting together all of these amazing events. Are you still doing the event piece? No, we don't host the events right now. We stopped in COVID time mm. and we just I've never gotten back to it. But what we do is we've got the podcast on podcasting. And so if I just gave one call to action, it's a free podcast. You can just jump over, either type in Adam Adams or the podcast on podcasting will come up. And if you go there, you could just listen to free content in the space of what we're talking about today. Other than that, I don't need any other uh, call to action, but if they want that, it's just the podcast on podcasting. I love it. I just want one bonus content really quick. When sure. you found out that you were going to be a dad, how did you react to that? I was freaking excited. My situation was a little bit different. I was dating a girl. We dated for a few months and then we broke up. And to be honest, we couldn't keep our hands off each other after. So we broke up. We weren't a, a couple anymore. And she had a son who was about two or three at the time. And we broke up. And a couple months later, we found out that we were pregnant. So I went from single, completely single, to a family of four basically overnight. And it was the most amazing feeling that I had ever had in my whole life. And so I've got a stepson, like my dad has a stepson. And then I've got my bio son as well. Of course, I just treat him, you know, as best I can as the same. Of course, they have different personalities. But when I learned of that, it was the biggest thing for me because if we back up a little bit, I had been married and we were married for three years. And we never got pregnant. So I went and got tested and they said I had a less than a 1% chance and I'm going to cry. Now I'm feeling like I'm choking up. But the point that I'm trying to make is I believed that it would never happen for me. I believed that I was totally screwed and I went to a family four and it was like the most beautiful thing that had ever happened to me. So that was a big deal. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is amazing. You know, I came earlier than expected and, you know, as well. And my parents kept me and stayed together. And my mom had me at 19. So yeah. the kid's mom lives three houses away now. So they're with me, you know, half the time with her, half the time. And they only have to walk about a minute to get back and forth. It's kind of cool. That is a unique situation. And what's interesting is we started off the beginning of the conversation where you were saying, I need to prioritize the relationships. I need to prioritize my kids. And I see that that's really important to you. I love that. Thank you. I'm still like really choked up. So I'm being Aww. silent. Well, thank you. That's such a beautiful last thing to end on. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm looking forward to keeping it going and collaborating and all of the good stuff. I'm a size large, so when you send me your shirt, it's a large. 
Me cool. too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. It was fun to jump on your podcast today. I can't wait to hear what my dad has to say. <laughs> All right. Me too. Let me know. Okay. Okay. All Talk right. soon. Bye. Bye. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. All right. So when you found out that you were going to have a girl, how did you feel about that? Well, I didn't know until you were born. We didn't check it out ahead of time. But of course, I did a little early preview and making you. And one who was also very excited about it was your grandma, Rose. She said that babies come in God's time, not necessarily in your time or in a planned time. And it's a wonderful blessing when that happens. And it's really funny because we picked out some names, two boy names, Joshua J. and uh, I think Abraham Jerome, or just in time. But my favorite name was Rena Joy. And that's pretty funny because uh, my favorite name ended up being the first one when we thought you would be the third one. And the truth of the matter is, is that that naming was, of course, you. And you had two sisters. We had to come up with new names. So just because you planned on them, that doesn't mean they happen the way you plan it. But what a thrill to see a beautiful, healthy little girl, even though it had your mom's tush on it, it had my face on it. So it was quite a nice thing for a father to see a beautiful daughter. And you really went wherever we went, really from the beginning of of our marriage. Wherever we went, you went. (laughs) Kind of nice, because that's really what family is all about. And in this uh, podcast, Adam mentions that you can work your whole life, uh, put in all these hours, but what is it all for? It's got to be for something. Uh, By becoming an expert, really in real estate, he's able to now have other people help him, where he's able to delegate responsibilities and make some big deals where he can now spend, through his special circumstances, a miracle in his life where he was able to have a family and children that was really a long shot as well. And he's now trying to spend that same type of intense quality time with his family because the bottom line is that's really what's the most important thing. But of course, we do have to be in the rat race of making money. But the fact is, is that those families that have the highest priority on their family can actually do just fine with a little less money because time escapes us all. And it turns out that that is maybe more precious than chasing the buck. So we do need balance in our lives, as we've stated on many shows. Tune into the Better Call Daddy show, and we will examine your situation to be very helpful in giving our two cents of advice on how you can make your life better too. When did you realize that maybe you can do without a little bit less and that quality time is more important than chasing the buck? Because you chased the buck for plenty of years yourself. Right. And I still try to make money now because my mom still reminds me now, even near 95 years old, is that you have to have enough resources to make sure that all of your children and your children's children have an opportunity for education, for housing, for cars, to have a way of life where it's not such a struggle is to look out for everybody. And what's funny about Adam is that even in his podcast, that he's using this to promote himself, but he also uses it to promote others, to use that networking sincerely to give everyone a chance to learn and have an opportunity to grow and not just to be a business, but also where it's a way of presenting really goodness and 
seeing if you have people that are sincere and want to be part of a network where you can build a really nice structure and organization where everybody could make out. And in your case, uh, you're trying to do the same thing. You're using this podcast. It's a way to have a nice family show with your dad and with your children. And it's really a form of communication that's a must in this new society of communication. He was mentioning that even some of the real estate deals, people are using their podcast to really stimulate what they can do. And where a lot of people that are not using the podcast are finding out that they're getting less business because you get to know someone and get that trust by having a visual and being on people's shows and back and forth where you're showing that you're a real person. He thinks that still wins out at the end of the day. And a lot of this robo stuff and impersonalization that's going on in this world should take second place. People that have your best interests at heart should get more business and not just those that are just trying to put their arm around your back, tell you how much they love you, but aren't really trying to help you, only trying to make a buck on you and take advantage of you. And there's still a lot of that that goes on. And a way of really deciphering that is by talking to people and networking with people and your camaraderie ship will aid and build when you all do things together in an environment that's not just a hard sell. So I did like that. And I did like that. It goes to show you, here's Grandpa Abe's quote, what you learn in your youth, you have in your old age. If you give someone an opportunity to learn about real estate or whether it's music or something that they really take to heart when they're young and they follow it and, and watch it, just like that's why I wanted Rothfield to do a little investing with me where I had him involved in a transaction, which was like my first transaction where this, the first stock I ever bought was U.S. Steel. And that was stimulated because Uncle Isaac gave me one share of Eaton Corporation at my bar mitzvah. So you're talking about how I've been interested in finance and in stocks since I'm a little kid. His grandfather told him another very important message. Look how important grandparents can be and have an impact on their grandchildren, where a lot of us that been lucky enough to have that, a lot of kids have not had that mentorship from a grandfather. But he says, look, whatever money you make, even if you make it 4 or $5 a week, put 10 or 20% of it in savings where you don't touch it, where that money is for investment. And he gave him a piece of property that he ended up making a tremendous profit on by having it for years and years. And it stimulated him and fascinated him on how valuable that real estate was that he made his career in real estate. How many times does that happen? where you get mentored by someone that you really loves you and trusts you and wants you to be successful, that you're able to have a leg up. And we don't have enough of that really in our whole country. It's because we have a fragmented family lifestyles and they miss out on that opportunity. So those that do have it and can explain and share some of that with their audience, I think make a lot more points doing that because it shows that generational continuity and that's what the Better Call Daddy show is all about. It's not just about one generation. It's about many generations and getting everyone involved. And Adam does the same thing. And that's why both of your shows have a good chance for continued success. I think he's marketing his show a little bit better, but he gives you a lot of tips on how to help your show. And without a payback, he's giving you honest, beautiful advice. And he's doing that as a way to share knowledge and to share his platform with you 
and he does that with others as well. And I think we're trying to do the same thing, is that you want to be helpful to other podcasters and share your story and get people to continue to share their story with you. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.